No, but didn't a um didn't a like gender reveal party set like seven thousand acres of wild like wildfire in California? Mm, yeah. Or was was that That's in California? Right. Um yeah, I think it was out west somewhere. The United States has no right, no desire, and no intention to impose our form of government on anyone else. No democracy can survive when it's public life. His public goods are so privatized and militarized and individualized. So you won't take down lies or you will take down lies? I think it's just a pretty simple yes or no. So we tell a handful of billionaires who become phenomenally richer, yeah, you're going to have to pay more in taxes. Yeah. Um, I think I think that, that added to the fires. <laughs> but I mean, I mean, the fires have been going for for days now. State seeing right. um, three of the four largest fires in its history, it caused a, a nearly two thousand percent increase in the numbers in the number of acres burned. You now, compared to last year, you have these tweets. I don't know if you've seen these tweets or these Instagram posts of like the orange ominous sky. You have yeah. like ash covering everything. It's snowing ash. Yeah, really, really just creepy all around, but also reflective. Well, of and I climate change <laughs> i don't think that people realize that that is what our future is going to look like within the next like five decades maybe if we do not take action on climate change like i really don't think that people realize we're like getting right into it here but like <laughs> i really <Right>. like <laughs> truly do not think that people fathom that like the climate crisis isn't just going to be like oh well you know everyone just like s simultaneously at the same time kind of like combusts because the sun gets too close like that's not what it is like it is going to be like a series of like natural disasters and like misery for years and years and years like that is the type of crisis that we are talking about like you're gonna have red skies you're gonna have like pompeii essentially like a series of uh stuff like that like it's not gonna be like one and done yeah, and also it's going to keep getting worse the more we 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 don't take action and we just keep kicking the can down the road. I mean, every year right. you're seeing more intense wildfires, you're seeing more intense hurricanes. Um, average sea levels have risen as much as seven to eight inches since 1900. Um, almost half of that has occurred since 1993. Uh, since 1900, average temperatures in the U.S. have increased by uh, 1.8 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, from 2021 20, to 2050, it's expect to it's expected to rise um, about 2.5 degrees Fahrenheit. So yeah, we're gonna like these things are gonna keep happening, and the 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 impact of them, the fallout from them, is gonna be disastrous. That the, the um, longer we don't take action, no, 100. percent And I think that you and I would both agree that a large part of that responsibility lies with fossil fuel companies. I mean, more so, fossil fuel companies are, like, the ones who are responsible for it, but I think that our elected officials are the ones who create laws to regulate those industries and make sure that they don't continue to have the disastrous impact that they are. Right, yeah. And I think that's something that we really have to um, focus on. Just this past week, 
um, the Trump administration. I hate to bring Donald Trump up already, but you know, he's the president <laughs> and he has a considerable amount of influence on this stuff. So, you know, this is from the New York Times. EPA is easing restrictions on lead, mercury, and other toxic discharges from uh, coal plants into waterways. Um, arsenic's another one. They list all these toxic um, pollutants. Trump administration on Monday relaxed strict Obama-era standards for how coal-fired power plants can dispose of wastewater laced with dangerous pollutants like lead, selenium, and arsenic, a move that environmental groups said would leave rivers and streams vulnerable to toxic contaminants. The The Environmental Protection Agency scaled back the types of wastewater treatment technologies that utilities must install to protect rivers and other waterways. It also pushes back compliance dates and exempts some power plants from taking any action at all. And basically, the, the, the result of all this is going to be, it will save the coal industry $140 okay. to $480 million. It will endanger the water supply of 1.1 million Americans. Now, Regulations, when when they were in place, stopped about 1.4 billion pounds of toxic metals. I want to say that again. 1.4 billion pounds of toxic metals and other pollutants from pouring into streams and, and rivers. Like, this was an example of something that was good for communities um, living near these um, coal power plants. And, you know, people could drink the water. They didn't have to worry. Um, about heavy metal poisoning. You know, these were Obama-era regulations, and now uh, Trump's going in the other direction. No, 100%. And I think what a lot of people don't realize about these things, you know, you can say a billion, how many billions of pounds of heavy metals? 1.4 billion pounds of of toxic metals. So I can't even, like, picture that. Like, I'm thinking about just, like, school buses full of like mercury and lead and that's probably not even like enough to quantify that amount of heavy metals but i think like it's important to recognize like the impact of these metals and so obviously here in michigan we had the flint water crisis or i should say have it is still going on um right in which a lot of what had happened was water source was rerouted from i believe the flint river to the detroit river and in the Detroit River, there were like dead bodies and cars, and it has completely corroded that decision, which was made uh, in part by our former governor, Snyder, was an effort to save money. And shortly after that happened, GM, our local car manufacturer, found that like the pipes were starting to get corroded, and they were able to get their water back again from... Um, the correct river. I'm not sure if it was the Flint River. Um, I might be mixing I those were, two they, up. Uh, I, I think they were getting they were getting their water originally from Lake Huron, and then, um, in order to save money, like you said, they they got it from the Flint River. But because of okay. some of the the material in the river, it had corroded the lead pipes, and then right. the lead got into the water, and you know, right, absolutely, know right, absolutely. Well. And what had happened was it it has corroded those pipes so severely that now even putting it back on the Huron, um, Lake Huron, 
or the Huron River, rather. Sorry, I get my bodies of water mixed up here in Michigan. There are so <laughs> many of them. There are just too many. No, I'm just kidding. But <laughs> um, I, what happens when people ingest lead, especially when young people ingest lead, is that it causes neurobiological problems. One of the primary effects of lead poisoning is that it makes people more violent. And mercury has been known for a very long time to cause um, mood disorders or a number of other different problems with your brain. So this is not something that should be taken lightly. And I think, you know, everyone listening to this, Republican or Democrat, can agree that this type of poisoning, essentially by the government, there's no excuse for it. And yeah, it might help coal companies' bottom line. but Again, like, and I I do have compassion. Don't get me wrong. I do have compassion for people who work in the coal industry. But at the same time, I'm sorry, but your job has got to go. (laughs) And and that sounds harsh, but we just do not, as a society, we cannot afford to have, be burning these types of fuels anymore. Yeah. And and I would say, um, you know, to anyone working in the coal industry, you know, I think one of the things that is is super important um, for doing a Green New Deal, for doing a new sort of green industrial revolution is when we do invest in jobs that are going to revolve around wind, solar, uh, hydroelectric, geothermal, to make sure that people who um, work in the coal industry or work in the fossil fuel industry uh, go to the front of the line and receive job training to do these jobs so that they can sort of make that transfer easy. This is the deregulation mindset that exists among people on the right. And I think it, it just, it, you also have just, just the influence of corruption. You have a former coal lobbyist running the EPA. Mm-hmm. But it, like, like they really believe, like, like their mindset is, oh, any regulations but, but by definition are, are a restriction on liberty and freedom and the free market will always, you know, end up with the best results. So we should um, just let corporations do whatever we want. But that mindset, it just, it just doesn't work. I mean, I mean, I mean, there were companies that um, polluted in in the Detroit River back in the day, like the, like the the Detroit uh, wastewater plant would dump pollutants right into the river, and then um, eventually the EPA sued them and said you couldn't, you you can't do that anymore. Right. So, like, I don't know, there's just there, there's this idea among people that, like, all regulations are bad by definition. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I would say, no, you know, you have to look at the merits. And, you know, you talk about regulating toxic discharges that are going into the water. Yes, that's something that we should do. Right, absolutely. And don't get me wrong. I do. There is a large part of me that truly understands that argument that like if we have too much regulation it's going to result in a authoritarian state-controlled government like i understand that fear i do i don't think that we're anywhere near that and i would say that the threat of this climate crisis that we've been talking about is a much more eminent um like i said a threat to our society than that of you know having too much government regulation and i think again you know in this democracy and the way that we operate today, I, I don't believe, I think that the problem is not that the government is getting too powerful, but that the corporations are getting too powerful. And, and what we have with these, yeah. with these industries is too much corporate power because 
again, the government and Trump by doing this is doing the bidding of these, the coal industry rather than the bidding of the human beings who I believe, you know, you've got the stat of that most people approve of the Green New Deal. Yeah, 81% of people actually support that. So there you go. <laughs> and, and it's it's put out there as if it's some fringe radical idea. When no, if you just lay out the specifics to people, people are like, uh, yeah, absolutely, I support that. Right. And you actually pointed out a great um, a great thing, which is um, actually corporate tyranny, which yeah. is you know this idea that like you hear people on the right, they always talk about freedom, they don't really talk right. about democracy that much. You know? reason why is because you know you have you have a, a democratic government like where you you vote for people it's a representative democracy you have a say in it when it comes to these coal uh these coal companies when it comes to wall street banks when it comes to big pharma companies there's no accountability there's no transparency in many respects mm -hmm. the, these companies have have bought off the government yeah, as this policy is an illustration of, so you know when when your when your default is to just go against the government and, and give that power to corporations, right? like your argument that you know oh we need to take power away from the government because you know we don't want the government to be tyrannical, the result is now you're giving that power to an even more tyrannical body that has no accountability to the people. Absolutely, we need to be wary of that. Absolutely, I think like you know the. The tyranny of the corporation, which is exactly what you're talking about, I, I really don't think that 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 people really have a good understanding of that. And again, I I do want to mention that I can empathize with the hardworking Americans who are in this these fossil fuel industries. And we're not saying that we want to take your job out from underneath you and take away the everything that you have worked for, that you're providing for your family for. But it's just a matter of a shift two different types of energy. And um, I think that that's part of the problem with the individualistic society that we live in. And, you know, you and I know it's this Lockean tradition of I have to do what's best for me. I have to provide for my family, um, et cetera, et cetera. Like that's the norm in this country. That is very normal. There's, you know, nothing morally abhorrent about this individualist individualistic mindset but what that leaves out is the fact that in order to protect the individuals we have to care for the collective and with this exactly. climate crisis right and again i want to emphasize that this is a crisis i do not think that people understand it's not a matter of global warming all right well we recycle in our house and i try to bring my reusable <laughs> water bottle everywhere which don't get me wrong I eat organic, okay? <laughs> like I I think that those things do help. Um, but this is something that we really need to act together on. And there was a really fantastic TED talk by Tom Rivet Karnick where he talks about, you know, for the pandemic we were all able to work together. We were able to stay home, you know, for what was it like a month or two. Um, before right. here in Michigan, they like half reopened, but we were able to do all these things, including wearing the masks and together, like we can have that same type of impact on climate change. But I think for us, those small actions would be voting. Um, but I don't know, like, what do you think, Nick? Do, like, what do you think the role is of the individual to do things like bring their reusable bags to the grocery store? 
like I think that you're right. People have uh, people, people, especially in the United States, are, are very individualistic. People are very atomized. But the thing about the climate crisis is it's all encompassing. It's it's going to affect right. all of us. In terms of people doing individual things to 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 mitigate the climate crisis, I think they're good. But I think we need to be clear that you know if if we're just focusing on our individual habits, absent of major corporations that dominate our entire political and economic process are are doing, we're not really addressing the the problem in a in a in a systematic enough way. Like for example, 90, 90 companies are responsible for seventy one percent of global emissions. That's something where, and, and some of those are are private companies, some of those are, are are public. But the point is, like that's where the bulk of of the issue is, and that you know, people yes should take reusable bags to the store. Um, people should use more energy efficient light bulbs. But you know, and, until we address the broader the, the broader systems that have created the climate crisis and that are continuing it we're not going to really be able to address this problem in the you know with the scale that we need to the climate change right. is a is a systems problem without addressing that system any effort to mitigate it is is, is going to be severely underwhelmed yeah yeah i totally i'm hearing what you're saying and it's just interesting cuz i know we were talking earlier and i said that there are a lot of people um, in the work that I do. I talk to a lot of voters and some of them just are not convinced that Joe Biden is worth voting for because they say that he is, you know, he's just not good enough. Like he doesn't have the policies that they are looking for and they believe that they should just sit out the election. What role do you think that those people play in the climate crisis? Well, I think they, they, I mean, I think everybody plays a role in this. Um, Joe Biden, you know, has taken money from fossil fuel companies, accepts right. the Green New Deal as, as a framework. And, uh, you know, I think we need to be clear about what the word framework means. It's, it's, one, it's another one of these weasel words that people use to, oh, yes, I support this as, as a framework. So, you know, I don't really support it. But, you know, there, there are, I mean, there are, I think genuine differences, though, between a guy like Trump and a guy like Biden. I don't think mm-hmm. that this um, EPA regulation that we talked about earlier um, would be getting scaled back under a Biden administration. So there are there are definitive differences that exist, and I think you've you know um, politics is about policy, and you've got to you've got to look at these policies, and you know you've got to pick either the better option or, in our case, the least bad option when it comes to right. these things. And like, I know part of what I struggle with is I think some of me believes, and I would have never said this in 2016, but some of me believes that like a vote for someone like Howie Hawkins, who is the current Green Party candidate, would send an effective message to the establishment, to the Democratic establishment. Um, But I know you disagreed with me on that. Uh, I mean, yeah, it would send a strong message, but if Trump gets another four years as president, uh, you know, insane authoritarian escalations, like uh, gassing peaceful protesters, uh, sending federal troops to our cities, threatening to, de- to delay the election or, you know, talking about, Oh, maybe, maybe we'll, we'll try to get a third term. And 
And you know, some people say he's just trolling with that. And hypocrisy is not like it's not a game. Like you don't want to you don't want to play with that. No. It's like nothing is written in the laws of nature that that says like like it has to be like this. Like all democracies have a have a have a shelf life and they require a buy-in from the population. And when you see a guy like Trump who is oh, you know, maybe you know, maybe we we will get a third term or maybe we'll delay the election or do these things. I, I think it's really dangerous. And I mean, Trump is a guy who has called climate change a hoax, you know? So like it, it, it's going to be Trump or Biden. I, I, I wish right. it wasn't that way, but we live in a, in a first past the post system. I wish we had a multi-member uh, proportional system. I wish we had ranked choice voting, but you, you know, we've got to do what we can now. And the election is not the fight, right? All you're doing when you vote for someone is you're voting for who you want to fight once they get elected. And with Trump, voting for Trump gets you nothing. Like it, it takes things backwards. It causes you to have to refight fights you've already won. And, you know, whether it's the Paris Climate Agreement, whether it's it's DACA, immigration, you know, Trump ripping up the Iran deal and, and escalating with that country. You know, we, we've got to we've got to ask ourselves, you know, who would you rather be fighting in, in the White House for, for the next four years? And yeah, people should vote, but people yeah. should also be ready, you know, on the day after Election Day to, you know, organize and, you know, start out. And we should start asking ourselves, hey, what are we doing for ourselves and for all, all of these major issues that we face that we can um, influence people in government? Right. Yeah, that's a great answer. And like two are uh, the anarchists, the Marxists <laughs> um, who are listening to this podcast. I, I would argue that um, you will have an easier time organizing and protesting under a Biden administration than you would under a Trump one. And so for the people who are like opposed to electoralism completely. So now we're speaking to the far left. Um, a lot of our listeners I know are in more the middle or more like straight democratic, but on the far left, I think you would be um, incentivized to vote for Joe Biden just because it would make the fight a lot easier against, you know, these things that we, we all care about. And by that, I mean, people on the left, such as Nick and I uh, like the corporatocracy, like again, stopping the climate crisis, uh, which is our focus today. But I, I do think that a Joe a Joe Biden vote would get us there a little faster than having another four years of Trump. Uh, and I think when we talk about, you know, getting the kind of big systematic change that we're looking for, you have to remember that most change has come from mass movements de demanding Absolutely. that change, whether it's, it's the labor movement, the suffrage movement, civil rights, um, the environmental movement in the 1970s. Oh yeah, um, you know only when you have people coming out in mass do you get the kind of 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 political reforms to the scale that that we need to see. You know? I would compare it to the gay rights movement. I mean, when Obama was first elected, and he, you know, he ran I think farther to the left, and then he ended up taking corporate money. And a mm. lot of people still revere Obama. You and I do not uh, because of the um, foreign policy <laughs> decisions. I'll just say to keep it keep it on topic here but i i think obama you know he he said that he didn't 
approve of gay marriage. He said, well, they can have civil unions. But then there was so much effort from young people and from, you know, older LGBT people and pride movements that it really actually shifted it. And the Supreme Court was able to make that decision. But in the end, you know, now you've got Obama toning around like a rainbow flag because there was so much pressure from the public. So if we're talking about that amount of public pressure for something like climate change, that, I mean, he was already part of the way there. He wasn't like a Mike Pence type of character. But to take a movement like that and try and push, you know, back on Trump, you're just that farther back than you would have been if you had a Democrat who just didn't check all the boxes. Exactly. But yeah, I mean, this is this is the thing, like like electoral politics is important. And I think you know, we all have an obligation to vote for the least bad option. But then, you know, we also have an an obligation to to organize and to, you know, be in streets and to to demand uh, the kind of change that we need. Absolutely. And I think that those two things are not mutually exclusive. And I think um and when you talk about movement building, you know, just to sort of tie this back to the the dimensions that we were talking about earlier with respect to putting the onus on the individual versus the corporation. You know, Emmanuel Macron in France, one of his responses to the climate crisis was was putting a a, a middle class tax on on consumption, which, as we know, led to to yellow vest movement. Um, Anti poor policies, um, you know, policies that protect capital over any any kind of green transition. Wasn't it that he had instituted a carbon tax? But the tax was instituted on middle-class consumption instead of, again, corporations, which are where, where the bulk of, of the problem is when it comes to climate change. Like many of these same corporations knew about the threat of climate change back in the 70s and 80s. And they literally paid people to argue in front of Congress that, oh, it's not really a big deal, or, or well, not, not even that it's not a big deal, that, 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 they, weren't causing, that they weren't causing climate change. Um, you know, we've also seen this um, with Bloomberg and NYC um, in, in New York City doing anti-poor policies. Um, the Liberal Democrats in, in the UK, you know, pursuing policies that protect capital over any kind of green transition, uh, opposing labor's plans to, to nationalize railways and radically reduce emissions. So I, I think, you know, targeted taxes on consumption instead of corporations. I'm putting the onus solely on the on the individual instead of the bulk of where the problem is 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 not going to address it in any significant way, and, and we have to make that clear. Yeah, absolutely. And speaking of, um, you mentioned you made a really good point when you said that there were corporations that were aware that it was happening. Um, there's a fantastic podcast that Nick and I have both listened to called Drilled. And I will link it in the description, but that is a fantastic, fantastic listen. And I think that it is required reading for um, anyone and everyone, because what it covers essentially is that Exxon in, I believe, the 70s tried to rebrand itself as an energy company. And it actually made quite a few investments into renewable energy, but then it found out that it was losing money. So it actually funded an entire campaign to convince people that climate change was not real. And this is the type of dirty corporate scheming that we were talking about. Like, again, like the problem 
is the corporations. The problem is that the government is not responsive to us, but it's doing the bidding of these major, major fossil fuel companies. So again, yes, to reiterate, eat organic, bring your bags, but also like we need to vote and we need to hold the people who we vote for accountable because without some involvement of electoral politics, you are not going to have people who are responsive to the things that you're protesting. Yeah, that reminds me too, when you brought up Exxon, reminds me of how BP um, <gasps> popularized the idea of a, of a personal carbon footprint back in the day. Yeah. Oh, and, they, <laughs> and they had this tweet from a while ago. You, you know, the, the first step to reducing your emissions is to know where you stand, find out your carbon footprint with our new calculator and share your pledge today. And someone replies, I pledge not to release millions of gallons of oil into the Gulf of Mexico. Yeah, absolutely. And to me, it's it's frustrating because something like that, I mean, we have these environmental catastrophes that happen every day, which again, includes natural disasters. The severity of our natural disasters is directly proportional to the like small, small amount of action that we are taking on climate change, especially for the US who, you know, demands to be a global leader, well, then step up and, you know, make some, make some effort to prevent this major environmental catastrophe. And I cannot stress enough how eminent it is. Um, In the TED talk I mentioned earlier, the speaker uh, says that the climate catastrophe will be worse than the pandemic. So, you know, yeah. if you think that it was a shame to have to stay in your house and to have to wear a mask, just imagine how it is to have, you know, natural disaster after natural disaster as you watch your friends and family die out. Like this is what we were talking about. This is why we take this stuff so seriously is because it will be horrific and we need to act now. <laughs> I'm laughing because I I do sound dramatic, but I'm 100% serious. Yeah, I mean, it it can sound cliche after a while, but, you know, when you're people living in California right now, (laughs) choking and you're choking on on smoke or you're watching your city get flooded, um, this is this is starting to have an impact. And we we need to do something about it yesterday, but (laughs) ideally, but um. Yeah, we need to get to work as soon as possible. Absolutely. Otherwise, there's going to be nothing left.